Well, good evening. Hey, look, no judgment, you know, hashtag pandemic life. Thank you, sir. Uh, hashtag Sunday afternoon. I get it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I am uh, honored and delighted to be here. Uh, I want to first extend my great gratitude to uh, Pastor Chris Brooks and the team here at Kairos. I just, uh, I love you guys. And every time I get invited back, it is another reminder that uh, the Lord's grace is sufficient even to a sinner like I. And it's a joy to just be around fun folks. And so uh, it, is, it is good to be here with you. Uh, I think I've said this here before in being with you that what you're about to hear is actually a sermon I'm preaching to myself that you all just happen to be here for. Um, the last few months uh, for our family has been pretty wild just in terms of transitioning. We're in the middle of a transition uh, out of Memphis into Atlanta. There's a whole lot of moving pieces with that. And, and with that comes uh, different narratives uh, church folks finding out about us transitioning, people in our city finding out about us transitioning, and me finding out about narratives that are being written and spoken about me that just aren't true. There, there, there are aspects of our life that I've begged the Lord to come to our aid and to help us, and places where I feel like I'm in a place where I just need someone to fight for me. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Uh, I just need somebody to fight for me. And I want someone to come to my aid. More specifically, I want God to come to my aid. So uh, about a week or so ago, I'm, I'm reading through the Psalms, and every morning I read through the Psalms. So uh, whatever day of the week it is, uh, I read that Psalm, the Psalm that corresponds with that number. And then you jump up 30 Psalms, and you read the Psalm that's 30 ahead of that. Then you jump up 30, so on and so forth, until you get to the end of the book. Well, on March 5th, I read the 5th Psalm, and then I jump up 30, and then I read the 35th Psalm, and I am struck by this first verse. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend against me. I'm in a place and a space where I need someone to fight for me. I'm in a place and a space where I feel misunderstood. I feel unheard. I feel like folks don't know exactly where I'm at, and I need someone to defend me. I've already read in Exodus when God admonished the Israelites to be still and know that the Lord fights for you. So, Lord, I'm here I am. I'm trying to be still, and folks out here still talking. I just need folks to keep my name out their mouth, but that ain't happening. I need someone to fight for me. I've tried to fight the narratives. I've tried to do a whole bunch of stuff on my own. I've tried to over and outdo my brother and sister in honor and showing love, and yet nothing seems to work and then I read this, contend, O Lord, with those who contend against me. One of the reasons why this struck me is because David, being the king of Israel, has the largest target on his back. If there's anything broken in all of this empire with three or four plus million people, David's going to be the one who's going to bear the brunt of the blame. He's got his own sons who are gunning for his seat. He's got foreign leaders who are gunning for his seat. And he's in a place where not all of his money, nor his power, nor his position can accomplish the victory that he needs to be accomplished. So here he is, begging God. Contend, fight those who fight against me. 
Now, when we read verse 1, these words actually form a legal picture. What David's actually asking for is he's asking for a legal advocate, someone who's going to fight on his behalf. I grew up in Alabama and uh, served a couple churches in Alabama, and in Alabama, it was Alex Shannara. You need somebody to defend you? Call Alex, Alex Shannara. Or, or maybe it's some other lawyer on TV. One call, that's all. Whatever the cheesy slogan is, I need you to stand in this courtroom and fight on my behalf. And not only is, 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 is he asking God to fight on his behalf, he's also asking God to be his defense. Verse 2, he says, Lord, rise up, take hold of your shield and buckler, rise for my help. These are defensive weapons, so Lord, I need you to defend me. And then he says, take up the javelin, draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Lord, I, I need you to fight for me. I need you to be my defense. And I need you to take up this javelin, this long spear, and I need you to pierce those trying to pierce me. Where I'm from, we call this getting God. Like, God, I need you to go and get some of these folks because these folks out here tripping. Now, what's really beautiful about this passage that I think is it corresponds to several different people throughout salvation history we find in a similar predicament. In the book of Judges, we find Gideon. God says, yeah, I see your large army. Whittle it down to 300. And Gideon is like, are you sure? I'm pretty sure that spells defeat. And in all of his doubt, in all of his concern, in all of his tiptoeing and slow playing, God wants Gideon to know that I need you to walk out of this battle knowing that I won this for you. At another point in 1 Chronicles 20, when Jehoshaphat is surrounded on all sides by foreign armies and he's uh, facing a coup from within the very nation of Israel itself, he prays a prayer and he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat knows that in that situation, only God will prevail. In David's situation, in Gideon's situation, and in Jehoshaphat's situation, there is a level of desperation that leads to dependence. Because if God does not fight, if God does not defend, if God does not take the offensive against our enemies, we will not prevail. And then I love this next verse. Or rather, the back end of verse 3, he says, Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Say to my soul. What is our soul? Our soul is the eternal part of us, but to put it down on a, on a bottom shelf, our soul is the true us. It's the true you. It's not the you of the veneer. It's not the superficial you. It's not the you that you want other people to see you as, and it's not the you you want other people to regard you as. This is the true you. To put it another way, this is the child you. Do you remember how, when you were a child, uh, like a real child before like uh, bullying, really before middle school, when like the whole world just seemed like a place of high optimism and you would just run and play all day and say crazy things and sing and you were just making messes and drooling all over yourself and spilling stuff everywhere and like you'd go and play outside in the dirt and then go eat an ice cream cone and then lick your fingers, like that kind of child. That soul that God sees, the true us, David is like, God, here I am. I need you to fight for me. I need you to defend me. And I need you to say to my soul, the afraid, insecure child, that I 
God am my salvation. There's, there's a couple things here that I think are good for me to know. Why does my soul need to know that, God, you're my salvation? Here's a clue. Jump down to verse 7. David writes in verse 7, for without cause. David is like, God, I ain't even do nothing. I did not do a thing to deserve the treatment that I'm getting. I ain't even do nothing, God. For without cause, they hide their nets to trap me. And without cause, they dig a pit for my life. This is why I need you, God, to say to my soul that you're my salvation. I can't see their snares. I don't know where this is coming from. I need you to rescue me. It is why the next part in verses 9 and 10 are so important for us. In verse 9, he says, Then my soul, this childlike true us, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation, and my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. David is getting to the result in his desperation. Let me say it another way. David is living in desperation with his mind on the destination. What David does in verses 9 and 10 is he gives a projected sense of faith and confidence that God will work on his behalf, even though it's not a lived reality yet. There is desperation, but he's living in light of the destination. This desperation gives us a clue as to why verse 10 is here. The poor and the needy in society, especially in the ancient Near East, were the bottom rung of society. There were those who were overlooked. There were those who were taken advantage of. There were those who were exploited and oppressed by those with money and power. And David says, God, if you come to the aid of the poor and the needy, I, like them, you too can come to my aid. He finds great camaraderie with the poor and the needy. He finds great fraternity with the poor and the needy. He, he finds great simpatico with the poor and the needy. And the thing that tethers them together is desperation. And David says, even in my desperation, my soul will sing. Two questions. One, when is the last time your soul sang? When is the last time your soul sang? I'm, I'm not talking about jumping up and down when that stimmy hits your bank account. Right? Because <laughs> there's going to be some singing in my house. I got three kids. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and, and I'm not talking about just you maybe singing like really poorly in your shower or in your car when no one else is around. Like I'm talking about a soul level delight in something. A joy and a happiness that's so deep that your soul sings. Your child, your true self sings to the one person your soul was meant to sing to. When's the last time your soul sang? And if it's been a while, the reason for that is probably because you have not been desperate and needy enough to need God. Here's why the poor and the needy throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament have a front row seat and a wide open door to God. It's because desperation and neediness are the avenue to intimacy with God. 
In Psalm 34, verse 18, you would find there that the Lord is near to whom? The proud and the hearty and the confident? No, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. David says, I am poor, I am needy. My soul needs to know that, my, that you are my salvation because if you fight for me, then my soul will sing, it will exult, and then I like this, my, even my bones will declare that you are God who delivers. The personification here is dope because I don't know if you've ever had a bone sing. It's a crazy image. But what it points to is it's not just our soul, this inanimate spiritual reality. No, our bones, our very being will sing. This is the very physical response. Can you imagine David being surrounded by enemies or maybe even you being surrounded by difficulty and uncertainty? And everybody around you is like, yeah, yo, like... Like, I'm not surprised that you're depressed, and I'm not surprised that you're anxious. And like, yo, you've gotten a bad jump, and like, man, this has been a hard year. But in the middle of that, you are exulting, and your very body exults in the name and the person and the work of God on your behalf. That's when everybody looking at you like, I don't know what they smoking, but I need some. There is an evangelistic aspect to our worship out of desperation and neediness, and there is an evangelistic aspect to people who watch God fight on your behalf. Now, we're looking at this through the lens of David, the Old Testament, and God the Father. But I love that the New Testament pours light on the things that are hidden in the Old Testament. So the New Testament basically shines a light on the things that are hidden in the Old Testament. It's why Jesus is in every page of the Old Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, you find the better and truer David. You find the better and truer Israel and Jesus, who is shedding a light as one who contends with those who contend against us. Paul writes in Ephesians, and he says that our battle and our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. The author of Hebrews goes on to describe Jesus as a defense lawyer, as an advocate who fights on our behalf. I like that Jesus promises to fight those who fight against us. And here's how Jesus has been fighting for me lately. Because yes, there may be enemies without, but the enemy, number one, to me is the enemy in me. It is my flesh. It is my doubting heart. It is my insecurities that doubt God's love. It is my constant unfaithfulness in the sin that so easily besets me that is within me. And what Jesus has to be is he has to be my own defense lawyer when I put myself on trial. And he's the one who reminds me, Jason, I stand at the right hand of God advocating for you. So that when you condemn yourself, I'm the one who reminds you that you, your life, has been paid for. That you, my daughter, your sins have been paid for. And he fights and contends against our flesh to remind us that we belong in his family. And when he contends with, with, with the sin in us and he shows us that he cherishes us, he allows our souls to sing. And when does our soul sing? Our souls sing when we glean and gain confidence that our eternal and present lives are hidden in Christ Jesus.
and they are safe there. Jesus contends and fights for us so that our bodies, our bones in this world, in a pandemic, in the midst of banks holding on to my STEMI, in the midst of maybe not having enough, in the midst of transition, in the midst of job change, in the midst of people lying on me, telling stories, in the midst of even my own family not loving me, our very bones might proclaim that we ourselves are the recipients and the result of God doing amazing things. Here's, here, here's the truth. Many of us want to experience God and feel God. And one of the reasons that we don't typically experience God is because we're not desperate and needy enough for it. Because when desperation meets the gospel and the person and work of Jesus Christ, the miraculous happens. And when that happens and everybody looks around and is like, yo, what you going through? That's when we get to share with our bones uh, the goodness and the graciousness and the greatness of God. This is good. This is good. Thank you, Lord. If you were to ever go to an orchestra, there's something that happens in the very opening moments of an orchestra, and it is a dissonance. It's every instrument playing their sound, playing their notes, and it doesn't sound good. It's dissonance. It doesn't quite fit. Everyone's tuning up, right? We as Christians can live in a state of dissonance. We get into a state of dissonance, not unlike that. We get into a state of dissonance when we are not desperate and needy and see Christ as the answer. But there is a consonance that happens. When everyone gets on the same page and an orchestra goes from tuning up to striking the first unified note and there is something magical that happens. Here's what David's asking for. God, I'm desperate and needy. I need you to make something happen here. And God delights to enter into brokenness and neediness and desperation to work things out that we could not ourselves. How do I know this? How do I know this? I know this because my soul reverberates with the work of God on my behalf. And my soul sings and exults in the Lord. Here's, here's what all of this is going toward, right? Here's what all of this is for. We may be trying a bunch of stuff and failing, trying to defend ourselves, talking good to ourselves and failing. We may be in a situation with enemies surrounding us, folk, co-workers that are tripping, and we're in the middle of stuff that we can't handle. Situations way too big for us. Here's what I want to tell you, press into your spirit and have you walk out of this door with, and that is... When all else fails, God will not. It seems so easy. It seems so trivial. It seems so childlike. But if we are children before God, if our souls cry out and if our souls are to sing, we need simple truths to sustain us. Because the simple truth of the matter is that God in Christ is undefeated. There has never been a time in all of the Bible nor human history where God has failed. And Jesus himself being God is undefeated. Herod tried to kill him. Nope, undefeated. 
Centurions tried to take him out. Nope, got you. When the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to trap him, mm -mm, Jesus either disappeared himself or trapped them in their own fallacies. He remained undefeated. Judas tried to stab my guy in the back. No, sir. When Pilate tried to deliver him and, 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 and put him up to trial, Jesus was like, nah, not today, uh, Pilate. When Satan sinned and hell tried to get him, nah, pimping, I'm not going out that way. I'm undefeated. That so that Christ in the resurrection might maintain his status as the universe's undefeated champion of not the world, world, but the universe. And if that God has never failed in all of human history, what makes you think he'll fail with you? He will not. God in Christ is undefeated. And here's the last thing I want to leave you with. This is true of both David. This is true of Jesus. And it's true of me. It's true of us. That when God fights for you, his victory is sure and his victory is yours. We just need to walk in it. So my hope and my prayer for us this evening is that our desperation and neediness would lead us to a place where our very souls would sing and exult in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Teach us, Lord, to slough off the lower pleasures of this world and cling and hold firmly to the truth that you are not only enough, but you're victorious. Father, would you cause our souls to sing in our time with you as desperation and neediness create an avenue to intimacy? And Father, I pray and ask that as our souls exult and sing in you and our bones declare that you are a God who delivers, that the world would, would see and they would see that we're different, but they'd see you working in and through us. So, Father, in Christ, I pray and ask that you would fight for us, contend with those who contend against us, so that our tongues and our mouths might declare your praise. We pray all these things in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.